All right, all right, and we are going live. I believe we are live. Yo, 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 tell me what you know. Welcome to the Sunshine Show. Woo! Tonight, I have a very special guest for you guys in the house. I have the one and only, the most amazing, the most fabulous, the most uh, Bowie of them all. I have uh, Audrey Fulbright in the house. Audrey, how are you doing tonight? How are you? I'm nice good. to meet you. Nice it's, to see everybody. It's very nice to meet you. I've been very excited about this interview tonight. I've done a lot of research and I'm very excited to talk to you. I know that art is a huge passion of yours. And my son just graduated from Otis College of Art and Science. And I know you're in LA too. Wow, congrats. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so for the people that may not know who you are, could you give us a little, a little bit of an introduction? Uh, well, my name is Audrey Fulbright. I'm from Los Angeles, California, where I lived for the majority of my life from birth to my teenage years. I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, met up with some musicians, um, some of them being amongst the members of, and you will know us by the Trail of Dead, and TV on the radio, which both groups informed and guided me in my next move, which was New York, specifically Williamsburg, where members of both bands ended up moving um, in around 2005 or six was when some members of Trail Dead moved there. And the guys from TV on the radio had been there for some time already from various places. and. Uh, both groups were very important in my early days of pursuing music and art. Uh, I ended up joining, uh, and you will know us by the Trail of Dead. In 2010, I became an official member. I think 2008 or nine is when we started creating music together under various monikers and, and iterations of, of creating projects. And then, um, I moved into a house or a loft rather that was formerly the residence of some members of uh, TV on the radio, which um, kind of guided me in a very significant way um, as I started to become involved in music in Brooklyn, started to go on tour and um, eventually ended up back in Austin, which I believe you have a connection in Austin, right? Yes. Do, do you... Yeah, I used to uh, live there and I worked at the Capital Area Food Bank for many years. And Tracy and Trina are my best friends in the world. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I love them. And a true story, uh, T&T over here are named after Tracy and Trina. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Amazing. and we, actually, we met in Corpus Christi because the girls are actually from Corpus and then moved to Austin. Yeah, that's really nice. We'll tell them I said hello if you see or hear from them anytime soon. I will. Uh, so I met a lot of great people when I moved from New York to Austin, Texas, and eventually became a full-time musician and um, traveled quite a bit all over the world, touring with Trail of Dead. And um, after several years, I moved back to LA and wanted to pursue music. I wanted to get involved in other aspects of the music industry. And I was always interested in one of my first loves, which was creative direction and uh, being involved with visual aspects of music. 
So eventually um, I met up with a company and the owner of the company, the leader of it, who uh, turned me on to Flying Lotus at Thundercat. I got an opportunity to travel uh, with them for many years. And through that, I ended up working with them on different creative projects, a lot of uh, you know, creating merchandise with them, creating different video assets, doing ads with them, uh, creating DJ booths for Flying Lotus, um, just collaborating in any way I could. You know, I'm definitely passionate about music and art and especially in all the cities that I have lived in, LA, New York, Atlanta, Austin, there's so many amazing microcosmic scenes. There's so many cool artists there, both visual, musical. Um, there's a lot that you're able to accomplish if you just look outside your window, honestly, in any cities, probably not just limited to the ones that I've lived in, but literally any city has a nice little scene that I feel like you can get tapped in and connected with. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. I want to expand a little bit more on each project, but I want to check the chat really quick. We have Don, Scott, Isaac, Paul. Um, Jeff is saying Trail of Dead rules. Um, Paul from Colorado, we have the whole fam bam. Thank you guys for hanging out. If you have any questions, drop them in the chat. We will get to them. So TV, um, Oh my God, I'm so high. I'm sorry. I was like smoking a blunt before uh, we got online. Um, what was the name of the band again? Uh, well, there was the Trail Dead that I was in. And then TV on the radio were just some friends of mine who uh, I ran into after a show. I believe I was planning on moving to New York around 2005, 2006. And I ran into a member in East Atlanta and he was like, oh, you should just take my number if you're planning on moving to New York. Then I ran into another uh, couple members later on that night with my girlfriend. They had a night off. I believe they were on tour with Nine Inch Nails. And I was like, well, what are you guys doing tonight? Because I was, you know, at that time, one thing I've always appreciated about many musicians is there's, there's no hierarchy or there's no separation between a fan or someone that appreciates music or an aspiring musician and someone who has quote unquote made it or is a touring musician, a popular musician. I think that's the way it should always be where there's that connection and engagement that doesn't seem to, you know, forced or awkward. It's nice that musicians can, under most circumstances, there, there's definitely exceptions to the rule, but can reach out and speak to, you know, fans or people that appreciate their music. So we ended up hanging out that night and one of the members said, hey, if you go to New York, you can um, move into the loft where we started the band. And an engineer by the name of Chris Cody, who worked on a lot of the TV on the radio records, yeah, yeah, yes, Beach House, like you name it. He's like, you can record with him. I think he kind of recruited Chris, unbeknownst to Chris, uh, that he would be working with my band at the time. So I finally made it to New York with my girlfriend a couple months later met Chris. He did indeed record a record. In fact, he ended up joining the band and playing bass on tour for a while. Oh, that's so cool. uh, I just ran into him. It's funny, just a few months ago, I was in New York and I ran into Chris at the airport. Uh, Chris Cody is a renowned engineer 
who uh, now lives in LA because there's a lot of people from New York who subsequently moved to LA and stayed in the music scene. Tunde from TV on the radio lives about a block or two away as well. I live in Silver Lake, a part of, um, you know, definitely the art and music scene in LA. So I'm in the airport in New York, waiting to go back to LA. Just had seen my girlfriend play a show at the Bowery Ballroom. Maybe Wait, a couple nights she before. Play too? She also plays, she also works with me like in art direction. We play music together. I, I prefer to, to play with people that I love, people that are my friends, people I care about, not just you know, creatively, not just for money, but definitely that I have a vested personal interest in. Uh, more on that later, but definitely that is something that's consistent with all the artists that I work with. So I noticed Chris is there and he's like, hey, I'm on this row in this flight. I'm like, we are literally sitting next to each other from New York to LA when 15 years ago, we were put together in a recording situation and ended up becoming friends and I've stayed friends ever since. So it's nice to have that uh, sense of community with uh, that community in Brooklyn that has now moved over to LA. Um, Trail of Dead are still very close friends of mine. They recorded with Chris Cody. We did a record called Dow of the Dead with him maybe about 10, 12 years ago. It's starting to get a little hazy as time passes on. Uh, I played on a lot of records, but uh, Chris definitely has had a hand in several of them. And uh, now I still work with Flying Lotus and Thundercat uh, in like management and uh, a lot of like creative projects. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm in a band called Off. When I first joined Trail of Dead, uh, it was right when we were recording uh, Dow of the Dead. We'd finished recording part of the record with Chris Cody. And um, we had a layover. We were playing one of my first shows as a full-time member of the band. We were playing in Beijing. Ooh, and we had like wow. an eight-hour layover in LA. So we, I had flown from New York, my home at the time, to Austin to do like a photo shoot, meet up with the band and rehearse. And then we were flying to... Beijing, but it was by way of um, LA, we had an eight hour lay layover. And at the time, Sonic Youth and Pavement were playing at the Hollywood Bowl. And a guy named Dimitri Coates, who was a guitarist, band leader of Off, was like, come to the show. So that's when I first met Dimitri years ago and i loved off so much i would always wear an off hat like I'd, i went on tour with trail dead for like over a year and you see a lot of press photos of me wearing this off hat like everywhere i i, I went i love that hat and at the time a very rare occasion for me i had short hair that a hat would actually fit uh, on my head which is not the case now still have the hat no longer have the hair for it <laughs> so um maybe Two years ago, it's coming up on two years, uh, Off needed a bassist. And at the time, I was really busy working with Flying Lotus and Thundercat. I had stopped playing with Trail of Dead. I felt like my time had come playing loud rock music, and I just wanted to like do like creative direction and work with other artists that I really liked. But sure enough, I was recruited to play bass with Off. And we just finished our record, which happens to feature off's new drummer, Justin Brown, who also plays with Thundercat. Wow. So that has gone all full circle. Like pretty much everything in my life revolves in this little universe 
of friends of mine, uh, you know, and people that I collaborate with kind of revolving in this like little cosmos. Wow. Oh my gosh. It's like a lot for me to like wrap my head around <laughs> because I've loved Flying Lotus for so long. Um, I know you do the design for the DJ booths. Is that? Yeah. A few years ago, um, after a tour, um, when I was tour managing Flying Lotus, I had a slightly different role in the management team. Um, we were going to Tokyo for like a one-off and oh Flying Lotus God, dude, like, recently. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like no, no. you're just throwing out names like Beijing and, you know, Tokyo. And that, it just like blows my mind because like these are like places that like it's like from a lot of people just like dream like to go there and like you're going on tour and like playing music and like living your dream and making art. Oh, my God. Congratulations on all your success. Well, thank you. It, it's funny because it's definitely a different perspective when one is actually doing it, but I'm just so privileged that my friends have consistently taken a chance on me and brought me along. I always say that, like, I just have the best seat in the house for some of my favorite bands that I play in, like, whether I'm working on a creative or management level with, like, Thundercat or Flying Lotus, or whether I'm playing shows with Trail of Dead, like those are some of the best shows I've ever seen is just being stage right, you know, seeing my friends do their thing on stage. I just happen to be, you know, part of the equation with that. But ultimately, like I've been very, very fortunate to have the opportunity to travel with a, a lot of legendary artists, people that are legends, if not in my mind, definitely like with other people as well, you know, and I feel like um, it's definitely been a privilege. It's not always what it looks like outwardly. There's there's still a lot of work, and I feel like any job or anything that's worth anything has aspects that are not quite as glamorous or fun. There's tedium involved. There's annoyance. There's frustration. There's self doubt. But ultimately, it is a privilege to be able to like work on cool, creative projects with my friends. And, and ultimately, I know that I, I, I threw a lot because I, I do a lot of work and a broad spectrum creative and, and music and art. But when people ask me like what I do, I can sum it up with that I just do cool shit with my friends. That's ultimately, that's all I do. <laughs> and that's all right. that I want to do. Living the life. I love that so much. And talking about friends, we have Tracy in the chat. She says, hi, Sunshine. Hi, Audrey. Love hi. you. Um, Tracy, you'll have to rewind at the beginning to hear about the story I told Audrey. Um, <laughs> let's see. I had a few questions here for you. Um, Hovac, Sunshine, you talk slow. Speed it up a bit. Do I really? Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> Oh, Trina's in the house. What's up, Trina? Hi. Oh my God, I love you so much. So what's your favorite rig to play when you play with off or in the studio? I play pretty much, no matter who I'm playing with, I play discontinued model of uh, Fender Dimension. And it's a bass, I really like it's an offset bass. Um, I love Fender. Fender has definitely provided me with some amazing instruments over the years. I have a Fender Bass 6 that I use a lot. It's like a bass guitar, like an actual, like, you know, lower octave six string bass guitar. 
that I use to write with, but a Fender Dimension bass is my primary bass for anything that I play. Um, and then a Fender uh, Precision bass I use when I'm not using the Dimension. But I have a bunch of Fender basses. Those are just the ones by order of preference and, and import in my sound. So are you endorsed by Fender? Fender does definitely hook me up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a formal endorsement. I would just say that they've been very kind to me and don't make me pay for any gear. <laughs> and I try to take photos only with Fender stuff. And, and I just, it's, it's my preference. And they've definitely been happy to give me things when I, you know, graciously, humbly ask for them. <laughs> nice. So let's talk a little bit about the last music video that you did with Off. Yes. Okay, so it's like a whole damn movie. It is. The, people have said that the, the intro is longer than the actual song. <laughs> but it's so cool. So did you have a part of that creative aspect in the video? Was that somebody else's idea? Like how did sure. it happen? To a degree, like I said, like Dimitri, you know, from off who invited us to go see, you know, Pavement and Sonic Youth um, eventually asked me to join the band and we needed a drummer. Uh, we were specifically in a hurry to find a drummer because uh, Metallica had requested uh, us to be a part of this project called The Blacklist, Metallica Blacklist. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's where Metallica asked all of these different musicians to cover different songs from the Black Album. And there's like Pharrell is on there and like Kamasi Washington. And there's just a lot of amazing artists. It's like a five LP long compilation of people doing covers. And um, between me, Keith and Dimitri, I think we all agreed to do Holier Than Thou. And that song in particular resonated with me and the idea for the video kind of sprung out of the fact that I grew up very religious. I grew up a Jehovah's Witness. I was like an ordained minister. I like lived at the, their world headquarters before. Of course like, me you being a did, Audrey. Yeah. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah. Before I was a full-time musician and, you know, roused about in Brooklyn, you know, and had my travels and music and art, I was a full-time, like, minister living on, like, the world headquarters of Jehovah's Witnesses in upstate New York. So that's a whole other story. It's a whole other life. What? So oh the God. idea of doing a, a song or a video that had these, like, religious overtones and mentioned you know religious hypocrisy and, and all that like was like this would be a great idea if we did a video like in a church we were like the church band and eventually like you know the you know team the production team the, the director really ran with a very basic idea of us being like this weird like band is at the wrong church gig for sure you know what I mean and that but that definitely kind of still stuck with the end story is that like we're just trying to be a band with a gig and it ends up going into an incredibly different place oh my god now it looked like you guys were like on a full movie set it looked like there was a lot of money put into this project where did you guys film it at we filmed it at this church. You know what? I, I, it's somewhere in California, I think in North Hollywood. Uh, I don't even sadly remember <laughs> when 
uh, we were there, like what the church was. But uh, Metallica was definitely supportive um, because this was part of their project and promotion for their compilation to, you know, provide resources to, to make that happen. So thankfully with Off, you know, joining this band, you know, since Keith has such a great history of, you know, being the original singer of Black Flag, you know, being the still current singer of Circle Jerks, there's a lot of groups and uh, companies that have provided like support, uh, moral and, as well as financial for us to make cool stuff. So fortunately we, we have that on our side. Wow, holy shit. So, I mean, is this like big like sets like that? Are you just kind of used to used to it or does it feel different every time you go on a different set? That's like a big production like this. I mean, it, it just depends because I have a life where I'm working with artists like in management. So it's a different context for me if I'm on set with another artist that I work with than if I'm, you know, actually a performer or a musician. So uh, it, it just kind of takes it case by case, honestly. Like it, it's, it's definitely unique with each instance, with each performance or with each situation. And thankfully I get to have a pretty varied, uh, you know, experience when it comes to being in that situation. So I'm, I'm just very thankful that I'm able to like experience it kind of all over again each time dude so fucking cool um okay thank you guys all in the chat i appreciate you guys i appreciate your questions jeff wants to know autry what's your favorite place that you have played and why i think so far there's several but i'd say so far sao paulo is one of my favorite places that was the last two trail dead shows that i played in july of uh, 2019 were in Sao Paulo and it was a nice like bookend to my entire life being on tour with Trail of Dead to play in a place with a really cool audience with a really appreciative crowd with a few people that had off shirts on that I before I even joined the band like a year later which is funny because I remember taking pictures with them and sending them to Dimitri being like people love your band there not knowing that I would join the band a year later but um, Sao Paulo is really cool. It's always nice to be at a place outside of the United States. Um, Berlin is a place that I really like a lot. I've always had a lot of fun shows there. Um, but also just, you know, New York City is kind of a great place to play as well. So I'd okay. say of all time, though, most recently, Sao Paulo really was very significant to me because it was kind of the end of an era. You are just a full world traveler. Oh my God, that's so cool. Is there a place that, um, a destination that you still want to go visit that you haven't been to yet? You know, I have never been to um, India. I've never been to Johannesburg, South Africa. I've never been to Cairo. So I think it would be cool to go you know, check out Africa, check out some of the places that I've never been. And also, you know, post pandemic, it's nice to just revisit certain places. I'm planning on going to Thailand in a few weeks. Um, I'm, you know, would love to just go back to some of the places that I've already been to that may be just, you know, through a different lens now. 
Wow, so cool. Um, when I worked at the food bank, I had a friend there and she moved to India and she like couch surfed for a year and then she met the love of her life and now she lives there in India and has like little babies and shit. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, it's really fucking crazy. Um, thank you guys all for hanging out. Ricky, Steven, Jeff, Paul, Don, Trina, Tracy, Hovac. I love you guys. Thank you all. Um, Scott. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about how you transitioned from the music into the art, although art was probably always a huge part of your life, right? Yeah, when I was a kid, even as I was growing up in a very religious household, I always wanted to play bass in a punk band. And I always wanted to do like creative direction. I wanted to like oversee visual, you know, art projects. And that's eventually what I ended up, you know, doing for sure. Um, and that I'm very grateful that I have that opportunity to pursue that and to continue to be involved, you know, to this day. Uh, I think they go hand in hand when you think about it, like, you know, almost every record has album artwork, has insert with photography or, you know, visual art. There's music videos, you know, that hopefully support like, you know, a single or, or an album. So I think it's it's pretty easy to see the connection between the visual and, and the aural for sure. So I think that it was just a natural progression for me being involved and passionate about music that I want to be involved in every aspect of it. So I think that's kind of how it, how it worked out, especially going to Tokyo with um, Flying Lotus that first time. Normally he would have this custom DJ booth that would travel around states and we were on tour but it was way too expensive to travel with that for one show in tokyo so on the flight there i was like well we can't just go to tokyo and just have like a normal like skirted dj table or something i was just like you know this can't be like olive garden like you know my name is flying lotus i'll be your dj for the evening how can i help you <laughs> so i was like let me create something so uh, I just went to a few different shops and bought a bunch of, you know, random stuff that I could like stick together and paint white so it could be, you know, projected onto with, with Lotus's DJs. And uh, the pandemic kind of actually allowed me a further opportunity to keep doing that. I started doing a couple other ones, one for Bonobo, the LA Theater, uh, and then I did a couple others for Lotus. But during the pandemic, when they were just live streaming, I had the opportunity to create these set pieces, these DJ booths that um, were able to be streamed, you know, online, even though there weren't shows, there were still performances and I was able to create something different. And let us joke, he's like, well, the precedent's been set. We have to do a different one pretty much every time now, which we've had quite a few. I think I've done about 11 for them. The most recent one for Lotus was at Carnegie Hall uh, in February. What? And yeah. Oh my god, that is so cool. And I never knew that that would end up happening, that I just keep creating them. And then I, I did one for an artist named Dochi last week, like a more of an installation and not a DJ booth. But DJ booths are cool because it's such a direct connection to the art, like doing a set piece for the musician to either perform behind or, or create a world that the musician is in while they're performing i think it's very important for me it's cool to do like experiential like art it's cool to do like 
museum pieces or, or, you know, photo moments, but creating something that the artist can actually use like as part of their performance definitely connects the art, you know, the visual art with the, the music. Um, so Jeff is commenting, Audrey, Audrey is such an awesome bass player. I have to agree with you, Jeff, on that one. Oh, thank you. I'm still learning. I'm still practicing every day. I'm still discovering the instrument. And that's the cool thing. When, you, when you're around someone like Thundercat, you know that you can always be better. <laughs> no matter how good you are, you can still be better. You could not be better than him, but you could definitely be better than what you already are doing for sure. So thank you. I'm still still practicing. I feel like I've watched that NPR with the Mac Miller and Thundercat, just that one song that they do together. And it's just like, you yeah. know, so beautiful. And it's like mind blowing. Um, so where do you get the ideas for the art is it just something that comes from the music that you listen to is it just spontaneous or uh there's been different um themes that i've had like there was one that i was inspired by uh, neo tokyo in the um uh anime uh or japanimation akira so there's certain things that, that I'll take that might be, you know, special or influential to the artists that I'm creating for. And it's kind of a nod to their world to, to create this kind of fortress for them. Speaking of which, like the Fortress of Solitude from Superman was another kind of um, source of inspiration for one DJ booth. I like doing series where it's either flora or fauna. I, I did, uh, yeah, I've done a lot of work where I try to combine biological with mechanical elements. So creating like machines that also have something involving usually like plants. I like working with like, you know, faux plants a lot, foliage. I like, um, you know, doing stuff that's kind of psychedelic, uh, that, that feels like a weird dreamscape. Um, I, I think ultimately I try to, do whatever I can in the period of time that I have. And I think the biggest inspiration and influence on any of my work is how much time I have to get it done. Because sometimes too much time is uh, kind of dangerous because you start second guessing yourself. But if I get called to do something and it's like three days before, which has happened several times recently, then I just have to immediately commit to an idea immediately speak with the artist or speak with my team and we just do it and it's done by the time I have a chance to you know tell myself that I shouldn't have done it so ultimately it's it's cool to just have the uh luxury of time but actually it's a benefit to have parameters in a short period of time to execute what is the like shortest amount of time that you've ever had to work with uh, I definitely remember doing a DJ booth where I had to have it done by like 6 p.m. at like an 11 a.m. My uh, assistant um, called in sick. So I had like six hours to create an entire DJ booth from scratch, including buying everything I needed for it. But it worked out. <laughs> it's like under pressure. Sometimes we do so much better, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, let's see, Jeremy Hill says you should check out Neogenesis Eva. Okay. Not sure what that is. Maybe art or something. You can expand in the comments there. Uh, I will look it up. 
did Audrey ever write songs with Conrad, the singer, guitar player in Trail of Dead? And if so, what is his favorite song? He's a huge fan. We wrote a lot of songs together. Um, I think one of my favorite songs uh, was from an album called Lost Songs. Uh, we wrote a song called Awestruck. Uh, that's a song that I play guitar and he plays bass. You know, if you're a fan of Trail Dead, you know that there's a revolving, uh, you know, cast of people that play in different instruments. Conrad and Jason often switch between guitar and drums. But in this instance, I played guitar on the, on the song. Conrad played bass. Um, but that record was largely collaborative and Conrad and I, along with Jason and Jamie, who Jamie now plays with Bad Religion, um, we all wrote a lot of cool things on that record. That's probably my favorite record that uh, we did. It's coming up on a, the 10 year anniversary of it this fall, which is kind of crazy. Wow. But yeah, Awestruck was great. Um, Lost Songs from that same album was cool. Uh, and uh, I think Up to Infinity, maybe three of my favorite songs we did on that record. But we wrote, we wrote quite a bit. Very nice. We have Elias in the chat. Hi, Sunshine. Hi, Audrey. What's up? Hello. Um, so can we talk a little bit about your like management duties with Thundercat? Like what exactly your role? Yeah, I work uh, for a management company called Really Happening. And among other artists, they manage uh, Cinematic Orchestra, Flying Lotus, and Thundercat. So I originally started off working in tour management and then moved over to artist coordinating and creative marketing. So I oversee a lot of the creative projects, both live projects, merch campaigns, like advertising, uh, museum, you know, projects, Just basically any creative visual project. I, I have a hand in a lot of that, overseeing a lot of designers, uh, you know, working with people to design new merchandise, basically communicating the different ideas that Thunder, Lotus, and Cinematic have to different artists and just uh, creating cool, whether it's merch, whether it's uh, installations, you know, something that has to do with any artist to fan engagement. Wow. And like, so what about his wardrobe? Wardrobe, Lotus and Thunder are G's when it comes to their own wardrobe. So we definitely speak about merchandise. Thunder and Lotus definitely are very clear about how they like um, their merchandise, what kind of, you know, down to the fabrics that, that are used. So, you know, I have conversations like all the time. I've got like swatches in my house right now, different fabrics, and, you know, different designs that we go over. But uh, ultimately, Thunder and Lotus, I feel like are very fashion minded and they have, have consistently come showed up to the party, whatever the party may be. I do remember being on tour. Actually, there's been a couple of times where I've showed up, maybe been shopping with either one of them and they picked out a suit and said, that's your suit. And I ended up walking <laughs> out wearing it like the Lotus. There was a suit maybe three years ago and maybe a few months ago, we all bought suits uh, to go down to Mexico. And, and and when I showed up to the spot, Thunder was like, this one's yours. And I was like, yeah, as a matter of fact, it's this mine. This is great. <laughs> so they, they're definitely amazing when it comes to their own fashion. And they're not bad with styling other people, too. Dude, so I saw the picture when you guys were at the Grammys because 
Thundercat did win a Grammy in 2021, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And Lotus did too, because he produced that album. Oh, wow. That is so fucking cool. Um, And you guys were all wearing like the mariachi outfits, right? Oh, that was not at the Grammys. There's another, there's another picture of the Chateau Montmartre where we're, we're hanging out, you know, after, you know, Thunder's Grammy win, Thunder and Lotus's Grammy win. And I'm just wearing an all white outfit, which is the same thing that I'm wearing. I'm wearing an all white outfit with the mariachi suits. Uh, that's when we were in Mexico just in January for a Wilco Sky Blue Sky Festival. And that, I remember going to Casa del Mariachi and Thunder being like, found your suit. <laughs> and I just put it on and it was a perfect fit. He could eyeball it and tell that that, that was the one for me. So he's also a PFA, a personal fashion assistant. I would say he assists no one but himself. I would say that he definitely just keeps a good eye out for his homies, but uh, I would definitely be slow to say he he assists in doing anything but being a badass. Oh my God, that's so cool. Uh, You are so humble and kind and just thank you for your time this evening. I really appreciate it. It's really cool to hang out with you. Oh, thanks. And I'd love to know more. I know that you're an amazing bass player as well. You play a Rickenbacker, am I right? I do, yeah. Cool, yeah. I have two Rickenbackers, a 75 and a 76. Both of them are 4,000 ones. Wow. I've only played a Rick like once. Barely? Never, yeah. You know, like um, an acquired taste. Mm. <laughs> Well, I'm, um, I'm happy with where I'm at, but I appreciate anyone that could lay it down. It seems like you do. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. We got my mama in the house. What's up, Mama Cantu? I've been Hello. <laughs> um, Jeff asks, Autry, what were some of your favorite influences growing up and now? I think it's still pretty consistent. Um, I love... Um, Let's see, Carol Kay. She's bass player. She's and you know Carol Kay, I'm sure. Sunshine. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She's one of the most influential bass players uh, and probably the most heard bass player ever. She played on a lot of Beach Boys tunes, a lot of old Motown stuff. She's part of the world famous Wrecking Crew. Yeah. Uh, I also like. Um, there was a band called Unwound from Olympia, Washington. That was. Consistently, everyone in Trail of Dead loved Unwound. Unwound had my favorite drummer, Sarah Lund, who's an amazing uh, drummer outside of Olympia, Washington. Uh, I was always a big fan of the Minutemen. The reason why I have a black flag tattoo is because the artist who created the black flag bars also created all the Minutemen's artwork. His name is Raymond Pettibo, and he's the artist for Off. So it's great that I, I happen to have you know, definitely been able to, you know, appreciate his work for the past like 30 plus years. And now he has, has definitely uh, inspired me and, and continues to blow my mind with the work that he does with the band that I'm in. Um, so yeah, I would say that uh, there's also like different directors that are very inspiring too, not just musicians. I'd say like Alejandro Yodorowsky, has been uh, someone that I really loved. I love Basquiat's work, like visually as, as a visual artist. Um, most of my favorite bass players are badass women, like Michelle May from The Makeup, uh, Kira Rossler from Black Flag. Uh, I could go on and on when it comes to that, but Carol Kay is the queen. She's number one. The OG, baby, the OG. Yeah. 
Um, let's see. Jeff says, I am in, I am, I am in Olympia. They are friends of mine. He is referring to Unwound. Amazing. Cool. Well, I, uh, any, any fan of Unwound, I definitely know that, that Olympia is one of my favorite cities with Kill Rock Stars being a very important like label for my upbringing, for my youth. And uh, yeah, working on a project with Kill Rock Stars right now, which is really cool that I can't talk about, but it's definitely awesome. And I'm happy that someone from Olympia is here to represent. So where do you find the time for your busy schedule? Like, it seems like you have so many things going on. Um, you know, I think everyone just has the same 24 hours in a day. I think that mine is filled to the brim with a lot of cool projects. And I don't necessarily think about it in terms of how tedious or time consuming they are because they're all things I enjoy. Oh my God. And what advice would you give people that maybe feel overwhelmed and feel like they may want to like give up on their project they've been working so hard on? Um, you know, I think there is a balance. If sometimes something is too hard, you might um, be able to recognize that another door could be opened. There, there's some things that take a lot of hard work, but it, it's also something where you should enjoy your life as much as possible and enjoy the process as much as possible. And if you're not getting any enjoyment or if you're getting too frustrated, there are so many things that you can pursue. There's so many like gifts that we have that we may not even know about. So there's that balance of like working hard and overcoming like, you know, obstacles, dealing with adversity, uh, you know, not being quick to give up. But there's also the enjoyment that you have to give, get out of life and, and the, the importance of feeling good about what you're doing. And I think that that's an important thing to remember too. And when everybody wants to say like, oh, you know, like you gotta like work really hard and you, you know, it's not gonna be easy. It's like, well, yeah, but sometimes in this world, especially with all this outside, like, you know, external problems and pressures, something should be fun. Something should be easy. Something should be affirming. And then and that's important to remember too, like to really try to do what you enjoy and, and what you feel you're good at because you need all the confidence you can get. Yeah, what, could you tell us like maybe one of the hardest obstacles that you had to overcome to get where you are today? Oh, myself, you know, I feel like everyone is their own greatest obstacle. You know, I think that like definitely being kind to yourself, being a friend to yourself and your biggest cheerleader is very important because I think only yourself can really hold you back. And it often does everything in its power to hold <laughs> oneself back. I think I still will always struggle with that. I think it's important to try to just be kind and patient with yourself. And that will often be made manifest how you treat others too. So I think it's important to start from within and then everything else kind of falls into place. And that is great advice. I hope everybody um, writes that down, puts it up on their wall and reads it every morning when they wake up because uh, it's important to manifest things and it is important to be happy and you've got to be kind to yourself first and foremost. And I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, 
Autry, I know that you worked on, or this may be your complete project, a museum in Austin, right? Yeah, I did. It's called the Museum of the Future Present. Awesome. Like a visual representation of a lot of musicians that I work with. So was this just an idea you and your team had and you like put it together, you know, from like a, just a thought you had or? Yeah, you know, I, it kind of maybe sprang from me creating DJ booths and, and elevated experiences with some of the artists that I work with and wanting to have some sort of visual complement that immerses people in the world of all the artists that I in particular work with. I'd love to expand it eventually and continue to do it in different cities and different places, but it's the same thing we were talking about previously about how important it is for me to keep the connection between the visual world and the musical world. And for people not just to reduce music to like a compressed MP3, or just a groove on a vinyl record. It's like the whole story. It's the videos, it's the album artwork, the liner notes, like everything tells a story. And it's cool to be able to tell the complete story with visuals as well as music. Especially yeah. in a time when, you know, for the past couple of years, people globally have not been able to enjoy the same experience that they had previously with receiving art from people. So to have an opportunity to do something a little bit different, the fact that we had a break and we're now able to maybe offer even more to people that really love music, that love art, I think is important to continue to try to do something that's more immersive, that puts people in a different world, that allows them to escape, that allows them to be immersed in the things that they love. So is it still open in Austin? Yeah, it ran kind of typical gallery museum style for about three or four months. Okay. Now um, I'm working on another project in LA and one in overseas. So I want to just continue just providing, you know, a space for artists to engage with their fans in different places. God, that is so cool. Congratulations once again on all your success. I know that oh, it wasn't luck. It was a lot of hard work to get where you are today. And man, you really look like you are living the dream over there in LA. So do you visit Austin much? Do you travel back and forth? I did quite a bit during the project. And then uh, Thundercat and Shabazz Palaces and other artists I work with just played there uh, around Halloween. Uh, so I was there for that. Um, right now, I spend a lot of time in New York where I have a secondary residence. So just going back and forth, uh, hopefully staying in LA as much as I can because it's gonna be quite a busy year, both for Flying Lotus, Thundercats, Cinematic Orchestra, Off, like everything that I'm doing has quite a full plate for the rest of the year. So I'm hoping to be in LA to kind of oversee all of those things. How fun. So do you think you'll like, tour anytime soon? I will yeah uh, off will be performing I guess it hasn't been announced yet but we'll be performing uh, at a similar situation as Thundercat did last year around the same time of, as Thundercat did last year so um, we're going to be touring for the record our record comes out sometime this year as well. So I'm, I'm trying to be careful not to spill the beans and reveal things that should be formally, uh, you know, announced or whatever. 
they have to do in that giant beast called the music industry that I'm a part of. But um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of plans to do things like that this year. Wow. Oh my God. So do you have somebody that like manages your, manages your schedule or do you manage it all yourself? Um, I feel like, uh, I mean, I, I kind of work within the schedule of, I'm on a management team. So that's, and, and I, a lot of my schedule is based off of the artists that I work with or I perform with. So it's like kind of yes and no, you know? So, but I mean, I definitely wake up to a lot of messages and emails and art to be approved and dates to look at. And, and I go to sleep to that too. So, but I, I have more time than I feel like people would think to kind of, you know, take walks, meditate, cook, you know, enjoy the process. I mean, there's, there's definitely sharp burst of activity and then periods of calm too. Oh my God. You're very well-spoken. I must say you're very well-spoken. Oh, well, thank you. Um, so I know you're super into movies, right? Is that a thing? I think so. I mean, I, I like what I like for sure. I don't think I'm necessarily a cinephile, but I enjoy specific directors i enjoy certain eras and genres so yes could we sure. get like a top three movie choice from you or recommendations wow it's hard to say i really like the dance of reality by yodorowsky um i definitely am a big fan of um i would say actually it was an obscure slightly obscure steven spielberg film in the 80s called uh, empire of the sun and it was uh, Christian Bale's first film. He's like 11 years old in it. And he plays an, uh, a British expat living in, uh, I believe he's living in China. He ends up being in a tournament camp. Um, and it's a very interesting story about, you know, a coming of age story that's in a unique setting. Um, and of course, it's all the epic, you know, tropes that, that Steven Spielberg has probably like grown weary of you know, creating in his films, but in the 80s at his peak, when he had like E.T. and Indiana Jones, this is like peak Spielberg. Um, and then I would also say that um, I like a lot of weird kind of shitty sci-fi films in the 80s, um, simply because, and if you go on Amazon and if you look on the recommended section, You'll, you'll, you'll maybe like look up E.T. or you'll look up Star Wars and you'll have like the recommended if you like. And I look at the like crappy ones. Those have the best set design. It's like you see that they probably like didn't spend very much on like the screenwriter or the director, but then they have like a really badass art director or something. And that's very influential. I feel like there's a lot of cool films uh, that you just have to appreciate for, you know, different reasons. For sure. And I think that, that that's a film that I like. The Warriors is another classic that I love, obviously. Um, but I like a lot of Yodorowsky films. I like David Lynch. Um, I like Stanley Kubrick. I like all the like big uh, directors and a lot of obscure ones as well. What? Do, how do you feel about Killer Clowns from Outer Space? That would fall definitely within that genre of <laughs> like, you know, space exploitation films. <laughs> And I think that that's a classic. I love that movie. Um, and did you ever see Pink Flamingos? I did. I did. Thoughts? I would say that, you know, um, it's an important film. I think as, as possibly offensive or grotesque as without giving away too much, um, 
it's important for films like that to exist. It's important for an artist like John Waters to uh, create the art that he creates along the same lines of Andy Warhol, of Kenneth Anger. Um, Divine is a very important figure, so, you know, I think um, as an icon, full stop, and as an LGBTQ plus icon as well. And I feel like regardless of how you feel about the film, there's certain things that you could look at objectively and say that is simply important for the history of cinema, the history of culture. And uh, I, I feel like um, I, I personally love it. I, I love kind of to be shocked and, and maybe grossed out a little bit. I think that's important to have certain art that shocks you and kind of turns you, you know, turns you off a little bit. Sometimes it's okay to do that. Yes, and so for everybody that is watching at home, listening on the podcast, uh, you too can have the same experience. Just uh, look up Pink Flamingo by John Waters. I'm sure it's like on Amazon or something. I'm sure you can find it somewhere on the interweb. And if, you, if it doesn't gross you out, check out Kuso by Flying Lotus, which is <laughs> on Shudder. <laughs> I'm definitely plugging something that also like is a little weird and grotesque, but I think it's very important and fun. Um, Autry, do you have a pre-show ritual? Man, the last time I played a show last year, I like threw up. I feel like that's something that happens. It's not something that I like, I want to do, but I still get nervous. I've been playing shows for really? like 20 plus years. And sometimes I still get so nervous that I, I throw up. So oh my God. sometimes before, sometimes during, and sometimes after, but that's a weird thing that happens sometimes. I don't know. Oh. Uh, I have intense, uh, like, uh, I don't know if it's focus or, or, or intense, like performance, maybe performance anxiety, but uh, that's something that happens. It's not necessarily a ritual as it is a, a, a reflex that happens sometimes. Oh. Typically, like I, I just try to, um have a good time with my friends uh before a show you know it's like I don't really like have any other ritual besides wanting to get into the zone of enjoying myself but I feel like sometimes it goes a little left but as long as I'm with my friends I think that, that that's all the courage that I need to play a show oh your friends are so blessed to have you in their lives and well I feel that way about them for sure dude that's so fucking badass you guys we are coming up on an hour and I've had the best time I have a few more questions and we're gonna wrap it up if you have any more questions drop them in the chat um one question I ask all my guests is if you could have throw a dinner party with any five musicians dead or alive, who would they be and what would you serve at your dinner party? Five musicians dead or alive. I would say I'd choose for them to be alive. So that's the first choice. So Wait, that'd be five. <laughs> so, so, but, but if they're five, if they're five, um, I would say I would love, honestly, you know what? I, I miss my bandmates in off. So I probably just want to, uh, I don't, it'd only be five. I probably just want to have dinner with them right now. Aww, I don't want to have dinner you. with them and my girlfriend probably. That's it. And we both, we, we both cook. Oh, what is your favorite thing to cook? I like to make a uh, cassoulet, like uh, a French, like 
bean stew, I believe it's from the Languedoc region of France. Um, and it's like white beans or cannellini beans with uh, roasted duck uh, sausage. And it's like in this kind of like tomato sauce, like with caramelized onions and everything. And it's really rich. So Ooh, it was something that I did during the pandemic because I ended up cooking different like meals from different regions from France. And what attracts you to uh, do you just like French cuisine? Oh, that's my favorite cuisine probably to cook and probably to eat too. It's very- But I don't like, I don't really like Paris. I, when I, I, that's one of my least favorite places to travel or perform. <laughs> um, it's very intense. Like the cooking itself, like the steps and everything that it takes to get to the final dish, but it's very worth it, I feel like. It is, it's and just like any artistic endeavor, I think. And it's something that takes patience, focus, uh, you know, time, I think that it's, uh, it's kind of reflective of any creative endeavor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Don says, so Clockwork Orange is a favorite of yours? Question mark. You know what? I have found that I'm a big fan of Stanley Kubrick, but there are certain parts of that film that I do find problematic. I think that as much as I enjoy a lot of the visual aspects of Clockwork Orange, and it's probably inspiring in certain um, aspects, there are certain scenes and subject matter that I don't necessarily agree with. So it's hard for me to really enjoy it maybe as much. Like I can step back and say like overall as a film and as Kubrick, you know, vision was really, uh, you know, realized in that film. I, I still don't enjoy it as much as maybe like 2001 Space Odyssey or like The Shining. So sure. love the director, like the idea overall, but the film doesn't rub me the same way as it maybe it used to. I don't think I've ever seen Clockwork Orange. I mean, maybe pieces. I don't know. I don't think I've seen it all the way through. Uh, what does my mom say? My mom says, I told Sunshine I wanted a pink flamingo float for the pool today. <laughs> Great. Did you, did you grant her her wish? Well, you know, she's in Texas. When she gets here to California, to Santa Cruz, I have a little pool for my pig. So if she is sharing the pool with the pig, I'll get her the pink flamingo float. Okay? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, all right, Audrey, man, I really appreciate your time tonight. I've had a blast. This hour flew by. Um, do you have any last words before we get going? I don't. Just thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, guys, we're going to wrap it up. Make sure that you go fo follow Audrey, go follow the band off, um, and support this man and all things. How can we support you? Besides following uh, the band, is there like, do you, you sell know, Honestly, like, uh, I'm pretty private when it comes to, to social media. So I'd say just uh, check out Off. Uh, that's the band that I plan, and we'll be putting on a record this year. And maybe I'll catch you at a show of one of the other artists that I work with. Uh, but other than that, I guess the best way to support me is to support yourself and keep creating. Oh my God, look at you. You are such a badass. Okay, guys, we are going to get out of here until next time. Make sure that you stay kind. You never know the battles people are facing. Put a smile on your face. Stay safe and keep rocking and rolling. Bye, Audrey. We'll talk to you later. Hey, thank you. Thank you.